welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 16th of May 2010, entitled Exposition of Psalm 24, and the Bible reading is Psalm 24. Here's Pastor Russ Iverson. Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn, sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Selah. Father, as we look into your word, we pray that Christ would be lifted up. We pray that your truth would be proclaimed. We ask, Father, that there should be one here tonight who does not know the King of glory. If there is one here tonight who has never met the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you touch that heart, that life, and they not depart this place until the issue is settled. Father, we ask that you would take your word, apply encouraging where encouraging is needed, apply rebuke where rebuke is needed, but all in all we pray that Christ, and Christ only, be glorified. In your name we pray and do thank thee. Amen. The relationship between Psalm 22, 23, and 24 was not designed by man. In Psalm 22, Christ is the suffering Savior. In Psalm 23, he is the shepherd. In Psalm 24, he is sovereign. Psalm 22 tells of grace. Psalm 23 talks about guidance. Psalm 24 points to glory. In Psalm 22, we see agony of the cross. In Psalm 23, we see the shepherd's crook. In Psalm 24, we see the sovereign's crown. Psalm 22 is past. Psalm 23 is now. Psalm 24 is future. And when David organized the courses of the service in the tabernacle and soon-to-be-built temple, much of the order of worship was established Thus, by the time the temple was built, 
On certain days of the week, specific psalms were sung by the temple choir. On Monday, they would sing Psalm 48. On Tuesday, they would sing Psalm 92. On Wednesday, they would sing Psalm 94. Thursday, they would sing Psalm 81. Friday, they would sing Psalm 93. Saturday, they would sing Psalm 92. And on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, they would sing Psalm 24. Of course, it was on the first day of the week that our Lord was resurrected out from among the dead. But our text reads, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Earth here is Eretz. It's the earth, the land, the country. Fullness is Melo. It's fullness, or all that is therein. All that grows upon the planet. And he goes on and he says, The world and they that dwell therein. World then here is uh, Tibil, earth or globe. But implied here is the inhabitants of this world system. Dwell is Yeshab, to sit down as a judge, to dwell, to remain. Sitting as a judge points to and suggests something. God created. He spoke into existence out from nothingness. Ex nihilo. Absolutely everything that exists. But on this planet, God chose to create and place man. Back in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, it says here, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, evolutionists just flat out have it wrong. Although... There are some who would disagree with me. I did not descend from gorillas or apes or monkeys. My ancient origins were not some pond scum that floated up on a sandy beach somewhere. Man is created in God's image and in God's likeness. He was created with purpose. He is the only point in all of creation that God gave to man the ability to speak intelligently, to think rationally, to fabricate, to create, to manufacture, but more important than that, man was created with the capacity to know, to walk with, communicate with, and fellowship with Almighty God. You don't read it anywhere else that God came down to the garden in the cool of the day to walk and to talk with Adam and Eve. But he did. It says so right here. He came down to fellowship. 
And God gave to man dominion over all this planet and over all that is in it. Dominion is rada, to tread down, to subjugate, to rule, to have dominion, to reign. Originally, God and man were in partnership. And we were the hands-on partner. He created it. He spoke it into existence. He fashioned it. He put us here to manage it and to work with it and develop it. Many would wonder if there is, quote-unquote, intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. I recall having a rather heated and pointed discussion with another preacher about whether or not we were the only place in the universe where there was life. And uh, I kept taking him back to Psalm 115, verse 16. Psalm 115 and uh, verse 16. And there, let me, starting verse 15, Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. He placed the earth where we're at, and he placed us here. He gave the earth to the children of men. How much clearer can it be? He didn't want to be bothered with the Scriptures. But yet, God created this planet for us. The Scripture says, He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Founded here is Yarad, to set, to found, to set uh, down together. The seas is Yom. It is a sea, is breaking in the noisy surf. It's a large body of water. Establishing is, established is Cume, to erect, to set up, to establish, to fix, to prepare. Floods is Nahar, it's a stream, it's a flood, it's a river. Essentially, the poet is giving a poetic account of creation. God spoke all of matter into existence out of nothing, and he began to fashion our earth uh, and, and all that went with it out of the matter that he spoke into existence. Again, in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The first thing that he did as he spoke matter into existence that's something the evolutionists never have gotten around. If you had a spark that landed on something and it began to evolve, where did the spark come from and where did the something come from? God spoke it into existence from nothing. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness. He called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. 
God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called these seas. And God saw that it was good and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed was in itself upon the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day. So you have a creation that is spoken into existence and brought forth and is brought forth in mature age and fully functioning. God said it yet another way. Over in Isaiah and uh, chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made." And all those things have been, saith the Lord. Or we can see that our, what our Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 34. Uh, but I say unto you, uh, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. I can't even hold on to them, much less determine what color they are. Who am I to tell God? He it is who numbers the hairs of my head, who cares for me and provides for me. He is my creator. He is my sustainer. He is my sovereign. Or we see in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You know, if we had just read the blessed book and believed it for what it said, you'll notice back here, he says in verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations, all ethnic groups of men. 
You know, if we'd have just believed the book, we wouldn't have the racial prejudice that exists today by those who deny this blessed book. Paul is dealing with the Athenians, the evolutionists, the idolaters on Mars Hill. But then Paul clarifies things further in Colossians chapter 1. Taken up in verse 12, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him and is before all things, and by him all things consist. You can't get any clearer than that. Our Redeemer is our Creator. Our Redeemer is our Sustainer. You've got to buy the entire package because that's how it's delivered. That's how it's set forth. I pity those who claim to be Christians and yet deny the truths of this precious book. You deny creation. You deny the fall. You deny creation. You deny the need of a Redeemer. If that be true, how can you be saved? But the psalmist tells us, the earth is in truth the Lord's by right of creation and as sovereign, as creator. He determines how he will be worshipped. Back in Psalm chapter 24 and verse 3, Psalm 24 and verse 3. He says here, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Ascend is Allah. To ascend, to be high, to arise, to rise up, to lift up. Or he goes on, Who shall stand in his holy place? Stand as king, to rise, to abide, to continue, to remain. But we're talking here about two distinct locations. The hill of the Lord and Mount Zion. It was also known as the fortress of David, the citadel of David. It was the place of the secular power and authority. And whoever controlled the hill of Zion controlled Jerusalem. But the holy place was Mount Moriah. Our English Moriah is the Hebrew Moriah. Yah uh, being, the, uh, the, uh, being the contracted form of Jehovah. Moriah means the scene of Yah. Scene of Jehovah. A great deal of history surrounds Moriah. We see, uh, first of all, a, a brief thumbnail summary in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. And in verse 1, in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, 
and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And here uh, we have the, the pointed reference back. We have two accounts in the, uh, in, 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 the, in the historical records. And in one place David is paying in gold and in the other place he's paying in silver. But, but, uh, but Ornan the Jebusite was the king of the Jebusites who had never been defeated by Israel or the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of Judah. Because Jerusalem was actually located in the tribe of Benjamin. And they'd never been defeated. And Ornan is there threshing in his threshing floor, and uh, David had really messed up, and he had incurred the wrath of God. And uh, I had talked our people in Bedworth about the, 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 the spiritual hierarchy and the, how that, uh, that there are demonic beings assigned to the various world rulers to trip them up. And the scripture records that Satan led David to get swelled up in pride and, and he, he ordered a census of his army that he could brag and boast about the size of his army and take his eyes off of his reliance upon God. And so God began to reduce the size of his army. They might trust on the Lord. And the death angel is over Jerusalem with the sword. And David saw him and went out and offered sacrifice. And he bought the threshing floor of Ornan. Gold points to sovereignty, but silver points to the price of redemption. That's why the two accounts. Or we find there is something yet still precious there in Genesis 22. Moriah is the place of shedding of blood. In Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram. He tested him. And he said unto him, Abram, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Verse 14. And Abram called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. God tried Abram. Are you going to trust me or not? Offer me up, thine only son. Well, God offered his only begotten son. Abram believed God. Abram accounted, gave a, told Isaac that the, God would provide himself a lamb. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. But yet they got there. Abram bound Isaac and put him on the altar. Now mind you, at this time, Abram was well over a hundred years of age. 
And by this time, Isaac, as a well-muscular teenager, Isaac humbly submitted. And Abram raised the knife, and God called to him the second time, Abram, Abram, I said, here am I. He stopped him. And Abram saw not a lamb, but a ram caught by the horns because the lamb was yet to come. But he offered the ram. And the scripture says that Abram saw the place afar off. It is this threshing floor. It is this mount that David bought where Solomon built David's temple. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. But we see the question that is asked in Psalm 24 and verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place? We see it asked again. In Psalm chapter 15 and verse 1. And the scripture says there, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And we find the answer in Psalm chapter 24 and verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. We see the answer in Psalm 15 too. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Those in whom the Spirit of God has done a work of regeneration. Paul says over in Ephesians chapter 1, picking up in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Or we see in Galatians chapter 5, picking up in verse 22, the work of the indwelling fruit of the Spirit. He says here, but the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. The evidence of genuine new birth is a purity of life. The evidence of a real new birth is a transformed life. We no longer walk after the things of the world. I don't mean to brag, but Charlie Doyle led me to Christ. 10 p.m. Tuesday night, March 2nd. I went into work 
Wednesday morning, March 3rd. And a couple hours after I got into work, the chief walked in. I was in the Navy. And after he'd been there a bit, he kind of came around to where my desk was. He said, Ivy, what's wrong with you? Aren't you feeling well? And I said, what's the matter, chief? He said, you're different. I said, yeah, chief. I got saved last night. And not too long later, the gunner sergeant in the next office come by and he come in and he came over to my desk. He said, what's the matter with you? I said, what do you mean, gunner? He said, well, it's quiet in here. You're not cussing anybody. I said, I got saved last night, gunny. Jesus did a thing in my life and I'm a new man, a new creature in Christ. can't do the old things anymore. Not only can't you, you don't want to. Things that contemporary Christianity says are all right today, I got saved out of nearly 40 years ago. You know, Satan has no new gimmicks. It's just the same old sin with a different name. But notice the evidence of regeneration is a purity of life. In 1 John chapter 3, John records, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. The world knoweth us not. After I got saved, the old crowd didn't want to know me anymore because it knew him not. But loved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The evidence of regeneration is a desire to grow in Christ's likeness to grow in conformity to the image of Christ. But there's still yet more. Because he says, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Uh, Christ is the forerunner of the redeemed. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. He says, Almost all things are purged, are by, uh, excuse me, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. 
nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he uh, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was, uh, was uh, once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin and salvation. By his resurrection and ascension, he is the guarantee that one day we will join him. He promised that he is coming back to receive us unto himself. And he only had to die once which rules out religion that says that they must sacrifice him anew and afresh somewhere on the globe every second of every day. His blood was sufficient once to pay the ransom for all of mankind and whosoever would but receive it. Paul says Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. In Romans chapter 4, Paul said, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All oh, that precious hope of one day seeing Him as He is, being like Him, being forever with Him. That hope, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye now are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. A profession of salvation with no transformation holds about as much value as a bucket of warm spit. It's worthless. But notice in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, Paul tells the slayer, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's there. He's there in heaven at the right hand of the Father, 
But this throne, or excuse me, this, this, this psalm was actually written for the occasion of the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant onto the Temple Mount. And it pictures the ascension of Christ. Paul tells us over in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, picking up in verse 8, and he says here, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all things, that he might fill all things. Paul here is quoting Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. And uh, picking up in verse 15, the hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill is the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in, yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. The significance of all of this is that on the ark, was the mercy seat where atonement was made once a year on the day of atonement. The blood of atonement was sprinkled. But Christ is our mercy seat. He is our propitiatory sacrifice. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. It tells us here, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But we find that this also is found in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And uh, let me read verses 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And that is exactly what happened there in the tabernacle on the day of atonement. The blood of atonement was sprinkled and God was propitiated for another year. The full exaction of the payment of the wages of sin was put back another year. Put back another year. Looking forward to the time 
when the antitype, when the fulfillment would be paid in the death of Jesus Christ as our penal substitute. But that word propitiation, elastirion, it's translated propitiation, but it also honestly, truthfully, legitimately can be translated mercy seat. Matter of fact, George Ricker Berry translates it as mercy seat. And that's entirely appropriate because that blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat was the very blood of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, the Scripture said, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Roman or Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, the Scripture says, And they and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. It's the blood of Christ that is the satisfaction for the sins of man. It is the blood of Christ that is our basis for eternal life and being there with him. We notice again that mercy seat in Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89. Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him, from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubim, and he spake unto him. It is at the mercy seat where that God was reconciled to man. It is in Christ where God is once for all, forever reconciled to man. It is Christ. It is Christ who is our mercy seat. It is Christ, Paul says in Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace we're in the stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, listen. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Spirit of God indwells you when you kneel to pray, 
your prayers enter into the very throne room of Almighty God and the Lord is there and he hears just as he communed with Moses there in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies and spoke with him off that mercy seat. It's where God and man are set at one again because of the blood of our penal substitute. Notice if you would, he tells us also in Psalm chapter 24 and verse 10. It says, Who is this King of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory. We see him earlier. We see him in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, picking up in verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Unto him, Art thou force or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. He is the same person that we first saw in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. In verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Here is the eternally self-existent one who reveals himself 
but the command to loose the shoe is significant. It is a command to yield. Notice with me, please, in Ruth chapter 4, picking up in verse 6. It is a command to yield the right of a kinsman redeemer. In Ruth chapter 4, picking up in verse 6, and the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders, unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Killian's and Malan's and of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off among the brethren from the gate of this place. Ye are witnesses this day. Joshua had to put off his shoe. Moses had to put off his shoe because there is only one qualified kinsman redeemer, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says that he took upon him the seed of Abram. They took upon him human flesh, that he might in fact be our kinsman redeemer. But we see him Coming back, we see him in Revelation 19. But I would share with you first Paul's testimony to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, picking up in verse 13, Paul records there, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus, Christ Jesus, he before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and holy potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. We see in Revelation 19 and the picking up in verse 11, John records, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And I submit to you that at this point in time, the reason that no man knew his name is that those who remained on the earth had thrown out the Word of God. Because the redeemed and those who abide in this book know Him for who He is. 
and he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We saw him. We saw him lead captivity captive. In Psalm 24, in verse 7, the Scripture says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. He is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Five times we see him here as the King of glory. Notice again verse 7 and 8, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. We have the challenge, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Heads is rosh, a head, a chapter, gates, a shaar. An opening, a door, a gate. It comes from Sharer to, uh, to, uh, to split, to open, to act as a gatekeeper. But stop and consider. The king of glory became a man. He came a man, became a man for a reason. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. He being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashions of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, but at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is almost free. It's on the margins of the notes. The next time the Russellite cult comes to your door and wants to do a Bible study, Take them to Philippians chapter 2. Read them verses 6 to 11. But at the same time, have your thumbs stuck in Isaiah 45. Because that's where Paul stole it from. Isaiah 45, picking up in verse 20. 
Isaiah records, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, Jehovah? And there is no God, Elohim, else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, Have I righteousness and strength? Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. You might point out to them when they come and knock your door and say that they are witnesses of Jehovah, that they should rejoice, that they will bow the knee and proclaim Jesus Christ is key to the glory of God the Father. But he came. He took upon him human flesh. Paul records in Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 4, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abram. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make recognition reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He came. He bled. He died. We saw him brutalized in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14. Isaiah 52, 14, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. By the time the Romans got done with him and nailed him to a cross, he could not be recognized as a human. There was no flesh left on his back, no flesh left on his face because they pulled out the beard at the roots. They plated a crown of thorns. He couldn't be recognized. He was so brutalized because he bore the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of sinful man, and he bore the wrath of the defeated foe, Satan himself. And he returned to heaven with that precious blood to sprinkle that mercy seat in the tabernacle in heaven. He's won the battle against Satan for the souls of men. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. He's conquered the grave. 
And the psalmist says, lift up your heads. He's addressing the angelic gatekeepers, commanding them to let the victors in. He comes with the blood victorious in battle. But now notice in Psalm 24, verse 9, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. Selah. Again, the challenge to open the gates. But now, it is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. And it is here that Christ returns. It is here that he returns with those who were in paradise. In Ephesians chapter 4, picking up in verse 8, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. It opens the way. It opens the way to the host of the redeemed of this dispensation. When he on that resurrection morning, he ascended to the Father. He sprinkled the blood of the cross upon the mercy seat, and he took the Old Testament saints out of paradise with him. And it opened the way for the host of the redeemed of this dispensation. It is this host of the redeemed that we see singing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him, the saddle on the throne, a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven in, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And that is the title deed to all of creation that Adam forfeited when he brought down the race in sin back in Genesis. And he forfeited dominion that God had given to him to Satan. And our Lord has bought it back by his victory on the cross. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. 
And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, four beasts and the four and the twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and gold and vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And this, my friends, is where the Jehovah's Witnesses and all of the other Christ deniers and all of the other blasphemers and everyone else that ever lived that rejected the salvation freely offered by the Lamb they will bow the knee and they will proclaim Him King of kings and Lord of lords. But by this time it is too late. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and the twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. Worthy as the Lamb was slain. Worthy is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Worthy is the Lord of hosts. Have you ever personally bowed your heart and your mind, your knee, and your being and received the gift that only Jesus Christ can give? A new heart, a new life, a new nature, a new name, a new future, a new now, a new eternity, and your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. Or are you here tonight and you've never been saved? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But here is the one that we must bow to, the lamb that was slain, who is the king of kings and lord of lords. The redeemed know his name. The redeemed call him lord. Do you know him? Do you have that assurance? Have you been to that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins? Because sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stings. Have you been to
at Calvary. If not, why not? If not, why not now? 